I like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. We talk a lot about crime on the show, and that's because in poll after poll, New Yorkers say it's one of their top issues. Even just a few weeks ago, a new poll from Siena showed that New Yorkers are seriously worried about public safety. When asked how serious they thought crime was in New York today, 87% of those polled said it was either very serious or somewhat serious. Only 2% said it's not at all serious. But the poll went a little deeper, asking New Yorkers how they're responding to that fear. More than a third of those asked said they felt threatened in a public place by a stranger, and about half say they've been worried about the safety of their family while they're out in public, and about 12% said they've bought a gun over the past year. But it's data like that that can drive elected officials to do more on a certain issue like public safety, and they are well aware of how New Yorkers feel about that. This was Governor Kathy Hochul this week. It's what we wake up thinking about, we go to bed thinking about how we can roll up our sleeves and work together to not rest on the laurels of this being not just the safest big city in America, but you also live in the safest big state in America. But that's not good enough for us. We're gonna keep raising the bar because every New Yorker deserves the security of going to bed at night themselves, knowing that they and their children, their loved ones are safe. She was speaking at an event at New York City Hall where Mayor Adams was unveiling a new plan to combat gun violence. It includes almost half a billion dollars in spending on a bunch of different areas. A big chunk of it, about $118 million, will go to early intervention programs like mentorship opportunities. And nearly the same amount will be used to connect young New Yorkers with jobs so they're less likely to turn to crime. But almost just as much, about $106 million, will go toward mental health resources and care for people experiencing a mental health crisis. The rest will go toward things like new housing opportunities and outreach. And Mayor Adams says that money will be targeted toward areas with higher crime rates. You do an overlay in a, G a GPS mapping system of this and you will see the same problems are isolated and concentrated in the same community. And this is what Chancellor Banks has been talking about over and over again, that if we don't start really being more proactive, we're going to be in a constant perpetual cycle of being reactive. And that is not what this administration is about. We're an upstream mindset so that we could prevent people from falling in the river that we don't have to pull out of the river downstream. That plan will start to be implemented immediately. Though we should note just for your context that some crime is down in New York City. There were 25% fewer shootings in the first five months of this year compared to last year. That's according to the NYPD. But other crimes have gone up. Grand Larceny Auto, for example, was up by about 32% in May compared to last year. We'll keep an eye on it. But turning now to the environment. When voters went to the polls last November, there was a question on the ballot about the environment. It asked voters if New York should borrow $4.2 billion to adapt to climate change in public spaces, buildings, and other infrastructure. And almost two-thirds of voters approved that borrowing. So now, the state has started to spend that money and is hosting a listening tour to hear from the public, local leaders, and anyone else on how the rest of it should be spent. At the same time, 
There's been a lot of confusion and misinformation, frankly, about the state's plans for gas stoves for cooking. Some will tell you that the state is getting ready to ban them, implying that New York is going to come to your house and confiscate your stove. But that's not true, and that's not going to happen. I spoke about that spending from the Bond Act and more with New York's top two officials on energy and the environment, DEC Commissioner Basil Segos and Doreen Harris, president of NYSERDA. Doreen, Basil, thank you both so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us back, Dan. Great to be here. Of course, anytime. So I'm going to start with you, Basil. Um, The Bond Act, we passed it in last year's election. Voters went to the polls. They passed it pretty overwhelmingly. Now you're getting ready to figure out how you're going to spend that money. Can you remind us what the intention of the Bond Act was? Yes. It's a big and broad act, right? $4.2 billion that's meant to enhance the state's resiliency, for lack of a a better word. That's really what it focuses on. So you think about our air, our water, uh, the impacts from climate change, the flooding we're experiencing, electrifying our transportation sector and our Mm -hmm. schools. Um, Those are the large buckets that we're ultimately trying to address. And we're now launching this in a summer that has been dominated by climate impacts, floods, right? The smoke in the the, uh, upper Midwest and Canada. So people are, I think, looking at the Bond Act, the proceeds that will come to New York State from it and saying that was a really smart choice for New York to say, yes, $4.2 billion is worth it. Now, is this money, and and I am not clear on this myself, is this money, um, Doreen, I'll go to you for this one, is it money for public spaces and public infrastructure? Like these these aren't dollars, dollars that are available to like a private citizen to get, right? This is just for public spaces. This is, this is really focusing on those public spaces yeah. and, and to the commissioner's point, really focusing on this topic of resiliency. One reason I'm sure um, you're aware and I hope others are that we've really been traveling the state mm-hmm. to listen to these communities is because we want their needs to be reflected in the ways in which we ultimately expend these funds because these are public investments in the first instance. It's, and I would add to that, I think it, it is absolutely dedicated to public spaces. Mm-hmm. We recognize, and we, as the law recognized, that uh, community groups, nonprofit organizations, also help to manage that space. So they, are, they indeed are eligible for many of the categories. Private citizens and businesses are not, but right. this mm-hmm. is very much public facing. Yeah, and I think when we talk about public spaces, uh, maybe it's, it's a wider than some people think. Public mm-hmm. spaces can mean something from making roads more resilient to climate weather. You know, when we see these roads getting washed out, are there ways that we can make them more resilient to these storms? I think when people think about it more of that way and how this benefits uh, everybody writ large, Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to get on board with, which is great. Um, Dorian and and you too, Basil, you mentioned the listening tour that you're on right now to hear about how this money will be spent. So um, Dorian, who do you want to hear from at these hearings? And uh, is it people? Is it government officials? Is it businesses? Who do you want to hear from? You just listed the really the target audiences for these listening sessions. We've had a number of sessions, um, including uh, virtual sessions as well. But one thing that we know, and I'm sure folks around New York know, is that the solutions that are brought to bear are going to be very different, perhaps, in different geographies of the state. Um, We're going to be launching um, in August four different sessions Mm -hmm. in downstate and Long Island. And rest assured, the solutions there may not be the same as those that we heard about in Buffalo um, when we kicked this off with with Governor Hochul earlier this summer. All that to say, 
we really do learn very much from the attendees and they run the gamut from public officials to private citizens to community groups and beyond, mm. really informing the ways we can most effectively um, invest these funds. Is it difficult at these listening sessions and these hearings, is it difficult to kind of separate the climate change part of it when we see, we're talking about extreme weather. So in some spaces in Buffalo, we saw we see extreme weather with seven feet of snow over three days. Mm -hmm. On Long Island, we see extreme weather as the remnants of a hurricane, you know, devastating communities and flooding and things like that. Is it difficult to show at these meetings that climate change is the cause here? Oh, I definitely would say that we have all not just here in New York State, but around the world, we all recognize that we are both fighting climate change and adapting to climate change at the same time. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate juxtaposition that we're in, is that while we are aggressively pursuing the goals of New York's climate law, we know we need to do so in light of this ever more extreme environment in which we are living. And that's really what this is about. We have to do both simultaneously. Right. It's top of mind for me all the time. I'm thinking about climate change all of the time in my life now, whether it's um, you know, the containers that I'm recycling, mm -hmm. the number of trips that I'm making to the grocery store mm -hmm. in a given week, I'm trying to reduce that. I'm making these changes in my life, and I, I'm assuming these are the kind of changes that we would like to see from the Money in the Bond Act. Um, Basil, what does the timeline look like for this? So we passed it last November. It has had um, a little bit of a complicated history in terms of the first round we couldn't have it go forward because of the state's finances, but now it was approved by voters. So when do we get to the part where you uh, release how the money will be spent and on what timeline will it be spent, mm -hmm. I guess? Well, it's actually underway right now. Um, so the first big tranche of money uh, through the Environmental Facilities Corporation uh, was, was, was uh, the application period was made available now to the public and the governor just extended the deadline because of the floods we've had this summer mm. into mid-August. Um, so those dollars, 200 million out of the Bond Act, plus another 200 plus million dollars out of other state funds are being made available for water infrastructure, right? Another issue that this Bond Act is trying to resolve the issue of water, water uh, both underground and above ground water infrastructure. Um, as soon as that grant period, uh, that application period ends, we would move quickly into the awards and ultimately get those dollars onto the street. And that's just one pot of funding. There are other, other pots of funding that we are now currently drafting and finalizing the criteria for. Uh, and all of that criteria then goes out to the public for their comments. So whether it's uh, funding for clean energy, whether it's funding for farm protection, uh, we want to make sure the public has a chance to weigh in on what kinds of projects will be eligible so that we then make the right choices on, in terms of awards. Yeah. So really soon. Absolutely. Yeah. 35% of the funding, according to the act, has to be set aside for env environmental justice problems. Um, so I, I wanna go over what that means sure. first. So can you describe what we're talking about when we say environmental justice problems or programs? Mm -hmm. You might remember the state's climate law, the CLCPA, which, which set a really a national standard in some ways because the Biden administration actually copied what we were drafting here in the state. Yeah. This, this mandatory, 35% investment in disadvantaged communities with a target of 40% investment. And what that gets at is the historic disinvestment and also the fact that most of those communities, you think about communities of color, poorer communities around the state, uh, have been bearing the brunt of pollution for decades. So we are trying to be very deliberate, right? In fact, not just making environmental investments, but making environmental investments to change the course of, of certain communities. Um, so we spent more than two plus years uh, working on what a disadvantaged community was. That's a very important definition. You're, yeah. gonna, you're gonna make those investments. 
you, have, you need to make them in the right places. So that, that really got to defining those, those characteristics. So now statewide, we have maps uh, indicating which are the EJ, the environmental justice communities. And that then will help applicants, help us uh, to steer those donation, those, those, those investments in places that need green space, that have dirty air, uh, that need an influx of green jobs. And that's really at the heart of the, of the Bond Act. There are some communities that may say, why set aside a certain amount of the funding for um, environmental justice? Mm -hmm. Because some communities may say, well, I don't have an environmental justice problem, but mm -hmm. the environment in my community is not doing great. Um, why set aside that funding and mm -hmm. not just have it, you know, even across the playing field? Well, listen, all communities across New York State are eligible for Bond Act funds. Um, we made a determination that we needed to place an emphasis on environmental justice communities because those are some of the most impacted communities when it comes to environments. So you talk about spending state dollars wisely. We know that making an emphasis on those communities is a chance to, a chance for the state really and, and these communities to get out of the, the cycle of disinvestment they've been in for so long. So it is very important. Um, and those are the communities. In some cases, of course, urban communities. Think about South End of Albany or Harlem, uh, but it's also many rural communities across the state that have had that disinvestment for years. So again, we follow the data on that. The data indicates where the, uh, the disadvantaged communities are, and then we make the investments accordingly. Sure. Doreen, this is a lot of money. And mm -hmm. for people who may not be following it day to day, I could see uh, some confusion about how this looks like tangibly for mm -hmm. these communities. So. If I'm somebody either in an environmental justice community where the money is being spent directly and targeted there, or I'm just a community that, that qualifies for this type of funding, what does it look like tangibly for me? Is it um, you know, better roads? Is it uh, better, more resilient buildings? Well, there's different categories of the $4.2 billion. And, and, a, and really, this is all intended to be very local with respect to the investments that we're making. So yeah. yes, infrastructure is definitely on the list, all the more important in light of the changing climate and the impacts thereof. But you know, let me give you a couple of additional examples. Um, NYSERDA specifically is working carefully to determine the best way to deploy $500 million, focusing on electric school buses. Mm. Um, there's a requirement in New York State to really phase in, in the 2020, late 2020s, the purchase of electric school buses, um, as an example, a real place that we're leading, because we know there's huge benefits that come, not only from an air quality perspective, but for the, the, the young students that are in these buses um, and the communities that they serve. So that would be a great example of a place where we will directly be working with school districts to have the tools and resources available to deploy those buses and to have those benefits um, across the community. So it really does run the gamut um, through every sector of our economy. I would assume those buses in particular would make a very big difference, right? Because I mean, just for my school, which had a graduating class of 50, I think we had 13 buses yeah. going out in the community twice a day to pick up and drop off. So a big school district must have a, a significant impact, I would assume. It's a big it's a big lift, but a huge impact. And yeah. I think when we think about schools, schools are another place we'll be investing in through the Bond Act. And we think about buses, like what is more personal than, than yeah. these young students and, and the impacts that they're having? Um, if you sat on an idling diesel bus, I'm sure you know uh, what was going on with the air quality within the bus. And, and ultimately, we've got really exciting solutions that can be brought to bear 
to address that, that challenge and create better health at the same time. All right, I'm gonna switch gears to a very different but related topic. It's the topic of gas stoves, which is something, uh, it's not really gas stoves is what I'll say. Mm -hmm. It's the phase out of fossil fuels and new construction. But this issue has been really laser focused on the issue of gas stoves because it's something that people can relate to. It's something that they use every day mm -hmm. and they're being told falsely in, at times that New York State is going to come and rip their gas stove out of their wall, I think. So I just want to go over what the law passed in this year's budget is actually going to do, what the requirements are for people, and it'll be very straightforward. So the dates first, by 2026, buildings of seven stories or fewer will, will not be allowed to have fossil fuel hookups. By 2029, larger buildings. So let's start there. If I'm somebody who lives in a house, and I'll start with you, Doreen. Mm -hmm. If I'm somebody who lives in a house that has a gas stove right now, my house is already built, Will I have to change anything in 2026? So the answer to that is unequivocally no. Right. Um, there's no change to existing buildings at all um, that are part of this legislation. But I would say when we think about how we get from here to there and how we actually address um, climate change as a state, buildings are going to be part of that equation. Um, we know that they're actually the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions yeah. in our state. We talked about that a long time ago. Right. And ultimately, we know that new buildings are the best place to start in really getting at that issue. So we as a state build about uh, 40,000 new buildings every year. That's what this is targeting. So nothing with respect to existing buildings or homes, but really allowing new construction to proceed in a way that utilizes zero emission technologies like heat pumps, like induction cooktops, uh, electric dryers, you know, those are the technologies that are very available and create a better quality of life um, for their inhabitants. Um, and when you're thinking about new construction, it can be done really with almost no cost premium, especially considering all the federal incentives that are available. So what we're talking about is starting at the beginning yeah. and, and really focusing in the places where there are real benefits to be gained um, as, as we advance toward our broader goals. Basil, on that note, if I am somebody and it's 2027 and I live in my home that has been around for quite a while, my gas stove breaks down and I have to replace it, can I replace it with a new gas stove or do I have to convert to electric? The good answer is yes. I mean, you could make that choice, right? I mean, consumer choice will still be there at 2027. Uh, what we are expecting is, I think the market is showing right now, that the price of these gas and electric stoves is coming down, yeah. right? So if you're someone who wants to make that transition, you can, just as if you wanted to switch to an electric vehicle at this point. Those prices are also coming down. So that choice, I think, will mm -hmm. dominate the marketplace for many years to come. And we're hoping that uh, New Yorkers can educate themselves about the benefits of, of that transition, as we have here at, uh, at DEC and Asserta. But they won't have to. Correct. Okay. They won't have to. So it, in terms of this, the issue here is really cost for a lot of people mm -hmm. when they talk about mm -hmm. it. And I think that we've we dispelled the myth that they're going to have to replace their gas stove, whether they don't have to, they certainly could. I prefer electric stoves because I think I'm gonna blow up my house one day with my <laughs> gas stove, but that's just me. Um, I'll ask both of you just on the cost of this transition for people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'll go to both of you, Doreen, you first. What can people do about that? What resources are available, not just for gas stoves, but if they did want to make a transition to an electric stove or 
an electric car or just to be more sustainable? What are their options? And I know that's a very big question. So. It is. How long do I have? <laughs> this is a question that we really spent years looking at as a Climate Action Council and are continuing mm. to. Um, our agencies are working carefully on implementation of that law and we recognize that to be successful, we have to keep this affordable for New Yorkers. Like that's full stop, yeah. the ways in which we can transition. So how do we do that? We leverage dollars everywhere we can. Federal dollars are a huge focus. So if you're out to buy that electric vehicle, take a look at the ways in which you can get very uh, lucrative rebates right now, as mm -hmm. an example. But we also recognize that we need to do this uh, on people's time. And yeah. by that, I mean, when your stove is broken and needs to be replaced, there's gonna be solutions that are brought to bear that are affordable and available. Um, and that's really what we're talking about, is not changing things um, out of cycle, but when the cycle is up, having those technologies available for, for folks to buy them in a way that is cost effective. Sure, Basil, anything to add? Well, I'll just say, you know, when, I, when my lease ran up on, on my last vehicle, um, I looked at uh, the electric vehicles that were available, and I was able to make a choice based on that without any real incentives. Yeah. Um, I, I had a basic federal incentive on that, but I was able to compare the cost of ownership of a gas vehicle with an electric vehicle. It was actually cheaper for me to have the electric vehicle over the cost of the, of the life of that, of that vehicle. Um, and I'm reaping the benefits of that right now. Uh, the issue of range anxiety, right, really, to me, hasn't, hasn't been a problem. And I drive an enormous amount across New York State. Yeah. So um, I think that's a sign of things to come, right? The technologies will improve as long as the government is providing the right signals uh, to that transition. And then consumers can then make those choices without fear of not being able to get from A to B or not being able to make a, a bowl of pasta. So that's, that's really where we are right now. We're in this very interesting and important transition period. All right, DEC Commissioner Basil Sagos, NYSERDA President Dorian Harris, thank you both so much. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. And the next listening sessions on the Bond Act are happening this month in New York City and its suburbs. We'll have a link with details alongside this week's show on our website. As always, that's at nynow.org. Turning now to a new edition of New York by the Numbers, where we tell you about something in New York using a number. This week, that number is 13.8, and it has to do with high-speed internet. It's no secret that New York has struggled to make high-speed internet accessible across the state. And I'm not talking about availability. That's different. In terms of availability, New York is doing pretty well. According to data from the state, High-speed internet, also called broadband, is available to 97.5% of locations here. But other data shows it's not always accessible, meaning that even though it exists, not everyone is able to get it. And a lot of the time, that's because of the cost. That brings us to this week's number, 13.8. That's the share of households in New York that didn't subscribe to high-speed internet as of two years ago according to a report from the state controller's office. And many of those households, according to the report, had an income of less than $20,000. So earlier this year, the federal government expanded access to the Affordable Connectivity Program. That's a program that gives low-income people a $30 discount on their internet. And because of the expansion, some internet providers are encouraging people to sign up and are calling on local leaders to spread awareness. Michelle Sadwick is from Greenlight Networks, a high-speed internet provider that's expanding across New York. 
it's almost like the best kept secret that this even exists, which is really interesting. And, and we talked to the local officials, for example, as I mentioned, you know, supervisors in that. It's like, help us spread the word to, to your communities and to your residents that this exists. So the awareness of the affordable connectivity program, I think, is very much lacking. You know, we're trying to do our part, uh, but we, I think there's an opportunity there for, you know, for other community leaders and, and political leaders to also spread the word about this. And just for full disclosure, Greenlight will benefit as more users sign up through added revenue. But we wanted to speak with an actual provider about how they saw the program and how more people could take advantage of it. And heading back to the Capitol now with some news in education. We're about a month out from the start of the school year, which means if you're a parent, you're probably already school shopping. And the state is spending some money too. New funding will be made available to schools this year to help support mental health services coming out of the pandemic. Now, mental health in New York schools was already a problem before COVID. For some schools, the money just is not there to provide stronger resources for their students. But this funding could help change that. $108 million will be made available to schools who have to apply for the money by August 18th. And State Education Commissioner Betty Rosa says having those resources could be a game changer for students impacted by trauma. Trauma can result from, from food and housing insecurity, isolation, families, loss of income, and loss of parents or caretakers. These experiences can manifest in many ways affecting students' ability to regulate their emotions and behavior as well as the ability to pay attention in classrooms. The funding was approved in this year's state budget, so we'll keep an eye out next year to see if it's renewed. That does it for this week. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well. Funding for New York Now is provided by WNET.